Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no man has gone before. Engage. Engage. Kirk Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Captain Janeway. Captain Sisko. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Hailing frequencies open, sir. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. My name is Jordan Hoffman. Thank you once again for listening. It is anniversary week. September 8th, 1966 was the year, was the day, star date, when the denizens of Sol 3 on this planet we call Earth could fire up their television sets and watch The Man Trap, the first episode of Star Trek ever to air. Not the first shot. Not the second shot, not the third shot, but it was the first one that aired for a bunch of complicated production reasons and studio marketing reasons, and that was the one that came on first. So today we're going to do a deep dive just on that. We have other stuff happening here for Anniversary Week, but we're going to do a deep dive just on The Man Trap, which I just recently watched, and there's someone at my door. There's someone at the door right now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dave Schilling to the podcast. Dave Schilling, everybody. Hello. Wow. Not only did I get a chime from Next Generation, <laughs> I got a clap. Yep. So for those of you who don't know the internet's Dave Schilling, Dave is a writer who currently, his official title is writer at large, and he is large. He's large and in charge. Uh, Dave Schilling is writer at large at The Guardian, which happens to be the same uh, outfit where I write my movie reviews. Uh, prior to The Guardian, Dave worked for uh, Grantland. May it rest in peace. You are our second former Grantlander on the show. Oh, who is we number had, one? We had Matt Patches on. Oh, a few Patches. Weeks ago. I like Patches. So he's, he's, good. A, he's a good guy. Um, and uh, prior to Grantland, you worked at Vice. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, you wrote, uh, I don't know, el- elsewhere. You've written for a lot of places. Prior to that, I was in college. Right. <laughs> prior to that, I was in high school. Right. And prior to that, you were just, w- <laughs> you were just watching Star Trek. Exactly, yes. In your living room. The rest of my life before high school was just watching Star Trek. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you here. And um, yeah, you write, about, um, you write about culture. You write about sports in the past. You write about important topics. But one need not peek too much beneath the hood to discover that you are a big raging nerd. I mean, this yes. is not a secret. No. <laughs> it's no. pretty evident that you are one who incorporates uh, nerd topics into your discussions of, of important political themes, social themes, and the other you know, good work that you do. But you also write a lot about Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, Doctor Marvel Comics, uh, the whole thing. Yes. So where does Star Trek fit in for you in the Pantheon? And be honest. Star Trek is number one. Really? Star Trek was the first 
thing that I was excited about as a child because it was my father's one of my father's father's favorite shows. So uh, when it was on Channel Forty in Sacramento, which was the only TV station close to my hometown called Merced in California, um, you know we would watch. Star Trek and in my parents' bedroom we'd sit around the TV and talk about it. I remember Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2 and mm. how that was a topic of conversation in our house for the 3 or 4 months before <laughs> it came back. Did you think did you think Picard was going to get killed? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had no reason to assume. I didn't know anything about the contract negotiations or whatever right. was going on at the time uh with Next Generation. I just knew that my hero was uh, has had been assimilated by the Borg and, and Riker was taking over and I didn't know who this Shelby character was. <laughs> she's a little shady and yeah, it was. It's my number one favorite thing. It still is. Awesome. My wife is uh, constantly perplexed by all the toys I have in our house. Wow. Yeah. Do you have a Star Trek room or does it does it? I don't. Yeah. I have an office. You have an office, and the office has a lot of Star Trek memorabilia. Yeah. I have uh, Enterprise D and the Kelvin timeline Enterprise, and I've got a motion picture poster, bunch of stuff. The Bob Peak. That's the best one. It's amazing, and then they they did the um the sort of take on it. Oh, yeah. for Beyond. It, it's great. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, we we've talked about the Bob Peak poster a lot, and um. It's funny, best of both worlds. I just uh, earlier today uh, we're banking this this episode. We just had Professor uh, David Greer, not David Allen Greer, sure. Professor David Greer <laughs> of New York University, who is creating and has created the first functional tractor beams. This is oh, real. He's man. created. I mean, they move microscopic sure. photons, sure. but they work. And uh, we were talking about his favorite episodes because he's a big Trek nerd and he was like it was the death of Lieutenant Yar that did it for me yeah and that the reason I bring that up is because when I saw Best of Both Worlds one and then had to wait that summer I was convinced that P- Picard was dead because Star Trek killed characters yeah because I love Lieutenant Yar at first I was also 13 and she was blonde so I'm like yeah okay <laughs> Lieutenant Yar um, and then they killed her and I'm like I remember sitting in my grandmother's kitchen watching it is like yeah and, and when does she wake up and like now we're at the funeral like, yeah. and, and when does lieutenant yar come back so that stayed with me so best of both worlds that summer i was like he's dead get over it that picard said what riker said fire and then we cut to black nothing they can do it's really one of the most brilliant pieces of television it is ever been it's so great it yeah. really is a lot of fun so is next gen your favorite of the series yes just because that was what i grew up with you know yeah. i was um i remember watching Next Generation when my brother was born. My brother's oh, four wow. years younger than me. I'm 32. He's, what would that be, 28? And um, we debate as to which episode it was, because I remember it being <laughs> Shades of Grey for some reason. But he's like, I was born on April 4th, 1988, so it couldn't be Shades of Grey. It was probably, uh, what was it? I could, I could look it up for you right now. Yeah, look it up. Should I? I mean, I hope for your sake it's not Shades of Grey, because Shades of Grey is not a great episode. It's a stinker. But let me go to Memory Alpha. Do, 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 do. And you could just do it by the date. So, of course, the Wi Fi here on Deck 44 here <laughs> is the worst. But When do um, I get my Synthahol? When do you get your Synthahol? Um, okay, so I'm just going to do a Shades of Grey, because we think it's near Shades of Grey. So, Shades of Grey episode was aired on beep, 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 beep. Oh, we're so close. We're so close. This is what happens on Star Trek. You like it. So that aired on, no, Shades of Grey was July 17th, 1989. So I'm not remembering it well. 
Yeah, it was. So it was the season before. It was season season one. one so it was season one. So you know what it probably was. It's probably the neutral zone, or it was um, conspiracy. Oh, I hope it was conspiracy. Because that was toward the end yeah. of the first season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conspiracy was was one was the one that I knew and that others I had very few friends that liked Trek at that time or admitted to liking it. But it that was the one that some of the Trek ambivalent ones were like, "All right, this show is righteous." Cuz they blew up a dude's head. It was the you most know? graphic episode. It, <laughs> it's a show that was really never it was never about anything gruesome and like some no. of the strangest aliens ended up being benevolent in some, oh, yeah. for some reason. Yeah. But it's like a gigantic, like, lizard, not a lizard, but like a pink creature. A neural and parasite. They, and they blow it up. <laughs> they blow it up like scanners. The, the guy's head just, like, it pops, and, and he's sitting in a chair, and it's revolting to this day. It's it's the single most revolting thing in all of Trek lore. Yeah. Um, except for the episode and the Children Shall Lead, which is just grotesque in general. <laughs> but... Um, uh, yeah, it, it's it's uncommon, and that but that was the one that got. There was this one kid who who was older than me, and um, didn't he, he didn't like tease me, but he didn't like me. Mm-hmm. He because he was one year old and just thought I was a putz. But I remember hearing him say to another kid, "Did you see Star Trek?" And the other one's like, "No, I don't watch Star Trek." He's like, dude, this episode was crazy. They blew this guy up, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, all right. This is this is bringing in a. We talk about bringing in." Diverse audiences to Star Trek. This was bringing in the goons. This was yeah. bringing in the horror goons. So, <laughs> you know, that was uh, that was pretty cool. So that's uh, that's conspiracy. But the first episode that ever aired, September eighth, nineteen sixty six, the Man Trap is kind of weird because, um, when when one go, you know, people come to Star Trek through all different avenues. A lot of different on ramps to Star Trek right now. There are the new movies. There's going to be the new show in January. People just knew you know, next gen, and they go, okay, maybe I should watch the original series. They watch Wrath of Khan, and they go, okay, I'm going to watch the old-fashioned Kirk Spock Bones. Let's see it. And the first episode, for all intents and purposes, and the one that makes sense, is the one called Where No Man Has Gone Before, which was, the, as most people listening know, was the second pilot that was shot. The first pilot, the cage, had a different captain, had a Captain Pike, not Captain Kirk. That footage was later... Um, as we as we say on the internet was uh, <laughs> uh, aggregated content that was then re- repackaged and reused in the menagerie, but uh, you know where no man has gone before is a pretty good first episode. You get to see everybody, and then of course they made some further tweaks for the next episode that was shot, which is the Corbinite maneuver, which is one of my personal favorites, probably in my top three, and uh, is really a great first one. The way it was shot, Joseph Sargent, the director, who later made the taking the Pelham one two three, had some very innovative camera movement. Um, it's just a great, you know, uh, nail biter of a show, and it's the first one with the cast we love: Doctor McCoy, because um, McCoy's not in the where the where no man has gone before, and um, everybody's wearing the right color outfit except was, for Uhura. Who's yes, wearing gold. she's wearing gold in that one, and that was a boo boo, and mm-hmm. they that they just screwed up. They just didn't <laughs> know what they were doing. Yeah, um, but anyhow. Man Trap was filmed a couple episodes later, but because it didn't have such complex special effects as Corbomite Maneuver, they could get it on the air sooner. Corbomite Maneuver was supposed to be the first one, and um, and where No Man was going for was was by the suits was deemed not right for the first one because of story reasons. So they had a few others that could go first, and they picked Man Trap. Do you think Man Trap was the, a good way to go? Does it make sense as a first episode? 
Well, I think one of the stranger things about um, Corbomite Maneuver, to go back to that, is there's a, a big part for a crew member who is not a regular cast member. Right. And so that's sort of like, you keep expecting him to keep showing up, and he doesn't, he sort of disappears. What is that character's name? Uh, um, I was going to just avoid it, but... No, it's we're it's, gonna get nasty emails. It's a, from no, people. I have long established myself as the guy who sometimes forgets people's names. Uh, you know, he's an important guy, and you know, he's left. Um, and he has the big character arc in that episode. Yeah, too. he has the big character arc. Um, Bailey, Bailey, yes, yeah. Lieutenant Bailey, or Ensign yeah. Bailey. Um, you know, he starts off being very uh, xenophobic, and then yeah. comes to understand alien culture. Uh, he, and he reps Star Trek so well. He reps like you know. You know, understanding the the ethos of, of Roddenberry, which is like, you know, don't fear what you don't understand. Embrace it and knowledge and diversity and all these good topics that we love in Star Trek. Um, so but the, you're right. He never comes back. Yeah. He's on the Theseus with, with Clint Howard drinking grape, grapefruit juice. Right. Tranya. And Tranya. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was, and it was supposed to be orange juice, but they made Clint Howard drink grapefruit juice. And he was like a little kid. Yeah. He was eight. And he hated it. Oh, he was no. miserable. He was crying. Because it was his first job, the Howard family was a Hollywood family, so the dad, you know, all the kids were working the dad, and he got the gig wearing those weird uh, eyebrows, and they're like, "You, you drink grapefruit juice, kid," and he's like, "I don't want to drink grapefruit juice. Leave me alone." And his father's like, "You will drink grapefruit juice. You're a professional actor." <laughs> um, but Man Man Trap is interesting because at least it's you know the the character arc is for McCoy. It's about McCoy yeah. getting over crater and accepting that she's not alive anymore that even though this alien looks like his former flame it's not her yeah which is an interesting theme that recurs on star trek is like are you going to be able to kill the woman that you love yeah yeah because it comes back in city on the edge of forever sure where a curse got to push um <laughs> it's happening again. Edith Keeler. Edith Keeler. In well, has to not talk. push her. Has to abstain from taking action. Right. Has not, to, yeah, to has save to her. Let, to has, let her die. Has to yes. let time move the way it ought exactly. to. Because yeah. otherwise Hitler will right. <laughs> I love yeah. that she's the reason why. She really we, is. We won World War II. She is. She, uh, it all comes down to Joan Collins in that soup kitchen. You know, yeah. if it hadn't been for her, uh, it would be problems. Yeah, but, well, what do you think about Man Trap? Well, you know, it's it's watching it again, uh, as I did yesterday, it's, there's just a lot of things that are interesting about it. I don't think it's the best episode, yeah. but I don't think it's bad. I think it's yeah. a solid episode. Um, it does get a little dull in the middle because it's just ultimately is this monsters running around pretending to be other creatures. But one of the the two things I really like about it, one is that so much of what I love about Star Trek in general is just thinking of like what's an average day on the Enterprise like. You know, um, I, I, I one of my favorite episodes is the lower lower um, lower decks lower decks yeah um, from TNG. And this is like has a little bit of like day in the life of the Enterprise. You know, Janice Rand bringing Sulu a salad, you know, like, and just hanging out. So you get to see a lot of that. And that, I think, is great. But the other thing I love to, to think about is to try to put yourself in the headspace of somebody watching Star Trek for the first time in 1966. And what are the first things you're seeing? So the very first image is the ship orbiting a planet. So cool, special effect shot, looks great. Cut to the bridge. You got Spock in the center seat. Yeah. Looking like a weirdo. Mm -hmm. you, if if you're if it's 1966 and you don't know anything about the show other than the name, 
Uh, and then you see pointy-eared Spock. You're like, what the hell's going on there? Who is this guy? And he doesn't say a word. And then you've got Lieutenant Leslie there, who was not an unimportant extra guy. And then you have a horror in the shot. And then you hear voiceover of Captain's Log, and then you cut away. And you don't go back to the ship for, like, two commercials. Right. So it's pretty weird. You're like, if, imagine you're a kid. Imagine you're 12 years old. New shows on Star Trek. You're hearing about it. Sci-fi show. You turn it on. You'd be like, who the hell's that guy? Yeah. Get back on the ship. What did I just see? And then you cut down, and it's like, you know... Kirk is at his most, like, you know, Major Don West, hi, I'm, you know, he's making jokes with McCoy about women and stuff. It's a little bit, you know, there are there are some, as we say, problematic stuff in original Star Trek. It is very progressive, but it is still 1966, and there's a lot of sexism, I think is the word I'm looking sure. for. Yeah. And this episode leans on that quite a bit from the get-go. Um, you got... You got Kirk, you got McCoy talking about ladies, you got that other third dude. They start talking about uh, Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the opening is pretty strange. And then like they play like, the saucy music. So they, they meet Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Crater. Dr. Crater. And she appears to McCoy as the beautiful uh, young woman. She appears to Kirk as uh, an older woman, as as Kirk calls her, a handsome woman. You know, yeah. but she's older. She's, she's handsome, but she's definitely older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, a little gray in her hair. Yeah. And then she appears to um, the first guy who's going to get killed. He's not wearing a red shirt, but he is a red shirt. And she's like dishy blonde. Uh, wh- and they play like the sassy music as she walks away. Because like. <laughs> And then it cuts to commercial. Yeah. So it cuts to the intro. So the first stuff you're ever seeing about Star Trek is like first image is like this crazy elven creature, uh, a black woman on the crew, mm-hmm. which for 1966 is just unheard of. Unheard of. Yeah. And then third dude. And then you don't see those guys again. And then it's like the Playboy Club downstairs. are like, ah, we're talking about dishy women. And then you cut to commercial. It's a hell of a way to start the show, I think. Yeah, it's almost like... At the time, television writers and networks and producers accepted that you just were going to go along with it. Um, It seems like now today there's more expository dialogue to make sure that you are centered into the universe when you watch a pilot. Yes. This first episode of Star Trek is like, okay, well, there's a spaceship and there's an alien and go. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it. It's like which there's I, no which I love. time yeah, for you to understand it. And had they gone with no, where no man has gone before, there isn't much more. There's not expository. the cage no. did have that scene with um, Pike and his doctor Boyce, mm-hmm. or was Bo- no Boyce was the second one. Uh, Piper was his yeah, doctor, Doctor Piper, who we called Bones. Mm-hmm. There's that sort of like, oh, you know, well, well, Doc. No, know, no, Boyce boy- was sorry. Boyce was the first one. Boyce was, was the first the one. Piper was second. You're right. So there's yeah. the scene with Boyce and Pike when they chat in his chambers that does act as sort of like an intro into the world. But there's none of that here. Um, but then, what I love is, and I'd kind of forgotten this until I watched it again recently, is you have some more going on down on the planet. Then you meet, you know, the 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 guy who's doing the research on the planet, who's like, oh wait, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with you. And then McCoy's got to in, investigate him. He's using a, a wooden tongue depressor on him, which I think is really cool. He's got the medical tricorder there. He's like, ah, good old-fashioned wooden tongue exactly. depressor. But then he cut back to, uh, finally cut back to the ship. 
And you have one of the lengthier scenes between Spock and Uhura. This is an important scene for me on a couple levels. One, you go back to the ship, and it's the weirdest character and a black woman. Yeah. And so if you're watching TV in your typical 1966 television audience, your brain explodes at yeah. that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the second thing is there's a whole other layer to that scene when you watch the Kelvin movies. Because it's like, oh, oh shit. Yeah. there's this yeah. interesting dynamic between them where she's flirting with him. And she's he totally just flirting. shuts her down. Yeah. He does not understand anything about it. And, and it makes you remember that at the beginning of Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy's uh, performance of Spock, his, his conception of that character was he really had no emotions. I mean, it came later when yeah. I, I guess he decided that really what he's doing is suppressing them. They exist because he's half human, right? but he tries his damnedest to keep them from right. coming out. Right, which I think later is established that all Vulcans have emotion, but they right. just tamp it down, but Spock has he's more difficulty. He's especially tortured, yeah. yes. Um, absolutely, I mean, he... Uh, and he's uh, mean to her. He is, he's a bit of a dick. Um, he says, um, you know, he, she's, she's like, it's like a day at the office, right? Yeah. So she's like, What's she says? Um, frequencies. Oh, if I have to say the word frequencies one more time, I'm gonna go bananas. And he doesn't understand why. And he's like, that's her job. A, it is illogical. Why mm. would you? Uh, he's given her typical Vulcan stuff, which again, if you're new to the show and you haven't read any TV guide profiles of what a Vulcan is, you're just like, why is this dude with weird eyebrows and weird ears so nuts about this? It later comes out in the conversation that he comes from a, a planet with no emotions, but he's being. Uh, he's kind of admonishing her, and then, she, but she puts it back in his face. She's kind of like a little sassy, like I'm just trying to make conversation, dude. You know, we're pals. And then it, it sort of brightens up, and um, the but it, but it goes on for a while. I think it's a long scene. I actually have the um, I uh, I have the transcript here because um, if I hear the word frequency once more, I'll cry, cry. I was just trying to start a conversation. And he says, well, since it is illogical for a communications officer to resent the word frequency, I have no answer. <laughs> I mean, it's good comedy. Yeah. It's good comedy. But yes, I mean, for 1966 and for, you know, there had been no quote unquote smart sci-fi, um, you know, treatment of aliens in any sort of, I mean, it's silly to say realistic manner because we have yet to meet. Aliens, sure. That I know about, but well-rounded, well-rounded, well yeah. Characters. It's it's a it's a really uh, a really cool scene, and um, you know, it's it it was luck of the like uh, there weren't that many episodes that had that much Ahura in it, yeah. And it it was reminded me now looking back at how much Ahura was in this first episode because you know today people who never watch Star Trek. Uh, they still know, oh, it was innovative for its time. Why? I had a black woman on the crew, you know, and she was one of the big stars. Well, most of the time she just kind of sat there and talked on the intercom. But yeah. but still, she was, you know, involved in many episodes. And this was one of the, one of her biggest shows in a way. Yeah. And there, there's, you know, a, a dearth of episodes where she goes down on the away team. Yeah. I think, um, I think she's in Bread and Circuses. Yeah. Uh, I think she's in, oh, I 
she's not in the apple, is she? She's in she's she's in some where she goes down to the planet. Yeah. But for the most part, she's on the headset. Yeah. And she's communicating with Starfleet Command, which was by the way a concept they had not even come up with yet. If you've read um, These Are the Voyages, yeah. where they go through all of the sure, sure, episodes. Yeah. Mark Cushman's books. They're, yeah, it's great. They're Those essential reading. Amazing. They also are. Uh, it's like the Silmarillion of Star Trek because yeah. it's just gigantic episode by episode tomes. Like they're 800 pages. Yeah, each, these excerpts books. of yeah. production notes from Roddenberry's desk. It's it's fascinating stuff, um, and it, you're you're they're they're not sure what the 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 superstructure of this of this universe is yet, which yeah. is which is really crazy. But yeah, back to Uhura, she's um she's a supporting character. You watch the show, and and you're probably going to be surprised if you're a new viewer that there's only two people, and then in the third season, three people in the opening credits. Everybody else is relegated to the end credits because Mm -hmm. it was Shatner and Nimoy's show. Yeah. Uh, You think about them as an ensemble. Nowadays, especially. After the movies. After the the second movie. Yeah. Like, Star Trek The Motion Picture, a character like Sulu barely, you know, he has a couple of shots. He gets a couple of good close-ups barely has any line. His biggest scene in the movie they cut out, that was where he's fumbling around to help Ilea learn how to use the navigation system on the new <laughs> Enterprise and he's like, ooh, she's sexual. Right. Because, you know, she's, you know, Deltons are, are known for their sexuality and yeah. so he's... My oath of celibacy is, is on, on record, record Captain. <laughs> or not, sir. Yeah, Captain. Yeah, because uh, she's talking to Kirk. Yeah. But uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. Uh, people thinking that this is this was a show where everybody was an equal character, and that's yeah. why Shatner and Nimoy had so much power going into the movies. Their ability to kind of like say, well, "I'm going to direct," or "I'm going to do this," yeah. or whatever, because they were the stars. It was, and and of course, uh, as the show took off, uh, Spock was the big hit. Spock Mania hit, and Shatner was annoyed. And then he realized um, Roddenberry sat him down. He's like, "You're the captain. What's good for what's good for Star Trek is good for you." So if people love Spock, embrace that because they love Spock opposite you and ride that. And he's like, okay. And that kind of, you know, set him straight. Although, you know, many people think of it not as Kirk Spock, but Kirk Spock Bones. Yeah. You know, as a, as a it ego, super ego, you know, as a... Um, uh, it uh, has to be that. I mean, I think that... Um, that's one of the things that I would I wanted from Star Trek Beyond that I got yeah. was the sense of camaraderie between the three of them. Yeah, that it's this trio, and you didn't get that in the first two because it was so focused on the Kirk Spock friendship. Yeah, but Kirk and Spock don't make sense without McCoy to be the third. Yeah, part I, of the triangle. I agree, and I think a lot of that comes in in the show more. I think that's mm-hmm. part of. One of the reasons why people's reaction to the new movie instantly was, oh, this felt so much more like the show, was just because there was more Bones. Mm-hmm. And more Bones interacting with Kirk and Spock. Exactly. You know? and that, but that's not something that you get in this episode as much. No. Um, and partially because it's a Bones episode, mm-hmm. which there aren't too many of. Right. There's this, there's Friday's Child, there's For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, <laughs> which is one of my favorites to say. And those are kind of it, I think, as the as like kind of the bones. I think he has uh, a pretty big subplot in Shore Leave too, because doesn't he die? He dies, yeah, yeah, and then he comes back with those two two ladies on his arms. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so that one's a lot of fun.
welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast with your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational. So well, another thing that that's really funny in this in Man Trap is um, all right, so they go down to the planet, and then Mister Redshirt, not wearing red, gets killed. They go, oh, something's going on, and they come back up to the ship, and um, right before, uh, and then one goofy things happen. One goofy things thing happens. Uh, Kirk says to Ahura, "Tell Commander Dominguez that his." <laughs> I have to. Uh, Space Commander Dominguez says we we have supplies that he urgently needs, and then uh, Kirk says, uh, "Tell Jose he'll get his chili peppers when we get there. <laughs> Tell him they're prime Mexican reds. I handpicked them myself. He won't die if he goes a few more days without them. Got Space it?" Space Commander Dominguez. I mean, I <laughs> I love this because it's something that you have in this episode that you don't have a lot of later, which is kind of a 50s pulp vibe Sherman's yeah. Pleasure Planet and then giving red peppers to Space Commander Dominguez which is just so bizarre um, I, I, you know the fact that, that Kirk is flying around with, with a gift for his buddy yeah. you know you don't see too much of later you know it's, it's a lot of their all business a lot of what makes Trek work is that they're the only ship out there yeah. you know they're not just making routine runs between you know space stations and bumping into old pals so that stray line really jumped out at me it, when I watched this it again. It did seem like they were setting up more of, I guess, a pirate ship vibe. Not that they were actually pirates, because they were obviously the military, but just yeah. like that chummy sort of um, very masculine idea of like, we, we drink whiskey together and we right. get each other space chilies and things. <laughs> uh, and again, that goes back to my point about how they didn't have an idea of what the superstructure of the universe was. Right, There was right. no f- real federation yet. Yes, 100%. This, this is something that all came in later. And keep in mind, the early episodes were pitched um, and then written and then crafted by writers before there was really much of a quote-unquote show Bible right. to show them. So when some of the writers were working, and Harlan Ellison talks about this a lot, um, there was nothing to see, you know. They they had watched the cage, um, but when the first ones were were put together, they didn't know the the sort of the vibe yet, mm-hmm. and so they were drastically rewritten on the fly by the in-house writers. At this time, John D. F. Black was still on the show. He left midway for a season. D. C. Fontana then came in, and Roddenberry himself. And Roddenberry had his fingers in a lot of the yep. first season. And this is the episode where the phrase "the great bird of the galaxy" Sulu says that, which was an awful line, and then became his nickname mm-hmm. because it was like, "Give me a break." Um, but then, right after the space peppers line, is where um, McCoy explains, says, "Listen, uh, we you know you got to come in the sick bay." Um, and he doesn't even call it sick bay; he calls it the dispensary. Oh yeah, the dispensary. Uh, right. Come on in. And I got to tell you something that I don't want to say over the speaker, which yeah. also is not very Starfleet. Like, right. certainly, um, you know, a next-gen Picard wouldn't exactly broadcast things to all decks if he didn't need to, but he trusted every member of that crew. Absolutely. You know, it's like to say something... There was no paranoia no, in the 24th century. true meritocracy. Everybody was there for a reason, even Lieutenant Barclay. I yeah. mean, he had his place. So, 
but so the thing that McCoy has to tell him is like you know, all the salts gone out of this person's body. And I would like to think that anybody watching it already has put the show together. Like, at this point, you know who the bad guy is. Yeah, it's it's telegraphed for you. That yeah. was the thing about 60s TV is there would always be an extreme close-up. Not extreme, but a close-up of the bad guy and yeah. like, scary music. Because they did that multiple times with with uh, with Crater, uh, the the female, the, the yeah. McCoy's ex, that they would show her and she would look kind of sh- kind of shifty <laughs> and like, her eyes would dart and it's like mm, me no, no. <laughs> right. So you're like 15, 16, 17 minutes into the show and you you know the ending at this point, but um, you don't know the full. You know that she's the villain. You don't know that she's that creature. I mean, right. that's the real reveal is the ending. I do want to talk about the ending in a moment. But before we do, one thing that is funny is uh, the idea of um, the salt vampire, of losing your salt instantaneously. What Roddenberry did early on was he commissioned the Rand Corporation to sort of vet the science on the show and also a company which happens to be called Kellum DeForest Research which is funny because of DeForest Forest Kelly, Kelly. Yeah. but it's called Kellum DeForest Research, and they were hired to just go over the scripts and give it a rubber stamp. So I don't know whether it was Rand. I think Rand was more into, like, you know, when they would talk about, like, warp bubbles and things like that. Um, but Kellum DeForest Research Company came back and said, yeah, we talked to some doctors, and if all the salt evaporated from your body in an instant... Sure, you'd probably die. <laughs> and they're like, great, it works. Put it in the episode. <laughs> Put it in the episode. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's how it is with the salt vampire. But I got to ask you, so at the end, cut ahead to the end. I love the ending. But there's the big reveal. The salt vampire, the M113 villain, or villainess, if you will, is sucking the salt out of Captain uh, Kirk. Very slowly, by the way. Yeah. Everyone else seemed to die instantly, but he, he took a long time. <laughs> and that gave Shatner a lot of time to mug for the camera. <laughs> he too. really did. And he freezes, yeah. and then he... Ah! And then um, McCoy's got the gun, and then Spock comes in, and he shouts, he's killing him! Um, and then there's the great shot where the woman transforms into the monster, and there's the great... And then transforms back. I ask you, Dave... Do you interpret this to mean, A, that when the villain, when the salt vampire vampire is sucking salt, it cannot maintain its illusion and must revert to its original form? Or B, was the salt vampire tired of living? And did the salt vampire want McCoy to see him or her as he truly was to put him out of his misery? It was the last buffalo. It was time to go. I love that line, too, about <laughs> she was the buffalo. <laughs> was it just like, enough's enough, put me out of my misery? Or was it just guilty? Did the, did the creature feel guilty for leading McCoy on? And so said, I'm going to show myself as I am. What What do you think? Well, by that that point, she had the salt vampire had murdered Dr. Crater, the, the husband, correct? Yes. Yeah, so there was nobody left on the planet... The Enterprise crew was going to leave no matter what. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can see there being a suicidal impulse of, like, just kill me. There's no more of my my species here. No one's coming back to this planet. I yeah. can't trick anybody anymore. So just do me in. But I think it's more of just a an instinct to feed. Because um, she killed the Dr. Crater, too. Yeah. 
and she had been living with him for years at that point, uh, pretending to be his wife. So I, I think it was, it was just, I need to eat. And so when it, when it gets in the feeding mode, it just reverts. It's like, it's like a bird of prey. Right. (laughs) It can't fire. It declosed. Yeah. Unless it's declosed. Yeah. Or it's like, you just can't look cool while you're eating. Yeah. You know, like to some people, they just look like a slob no matter what they do. So (laughs) that was, that's how it is to solve vampire. Okay. That's a pretty good interpretation. I mean, uh, from a from a production point of view, it was like, well, we got to see this damn thing. So that too, yeah. It was a good shot. final act reveal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny living with uh, with with make believe wives. It was a recurring um, thread because it happened with uh, the episode with Zephyr Cochran called Metamorphosis, mm-hmm. the cloud, and to a certain extent, this side of paradise too. They were living in a fantasy realm by the spores. You know, was was keeping them there. So you know, when you got a good idea bring it back i guess right yeah i mean i think that that was probably a preoccupation of the primarily male writing staff of star trek this idea of uh you know wives and monogamy and relationships and mortality and uh you know like where do i where do i find women when i'm in space (laughs) so why not marry an alien or marry an android (laughs) yeah uh turn an android into a woman and, and and you know, be married to the androids. Right, and it, that, that was just, I, I guess it was like they were thinking, you know, we're really going to do this, you know, the space At race At some is point continuing. this is going to happen. We are going to go in space. Because, it, yeah, it was such a, there was a futuristic feeling, I would imagine, to living in the 60s. Your People are going to the moon, and we're inventing, you know, rockets and all this stuff that's so far beyond the the ability to comprehend for someone who lived it at that time right right uh yeah there is a lot of like i mentioned the sort of saucy music when we see the vision in the in the pre-title sequence there's there's some more of that in this episode and more so than really a lot of the other episodes there's there's a, a moment where um kirk tells uh bones to stop thinking with your glands <laughs> Because Bones is like, I refuse to believe that my love is is sucking salt out of people. He's like, right. Doctor, come stop putting your hands. And then later, when Janice Rand is bringing lunch to um, to uh, to Sulu, like there's like this shot of like three dudes. Now one of them is the creature as as Ensign so and so, but it's like him kind of standing there like a goon, and then these two other dudes are just like just licking their chops over Janice Rand saying like how do you like that that's that the character of Rand divorced from uh you know all of the issues that Grace Lee Whitney had on the show Mm. as it is but the character itself is a tragic figure to me (laughs) because she really was the object of derision and constantly lusted over there's the enemy within where evil Kirk tries to take advantage oh, of yeah, her. Oh, yeah, it's practically, it's rapes practically her, yeah. a rape scene yeah. in that episode. It's really, like, that's a disturbing uh, scene in that episode. Uh, it's, it's, it, the portrayal of women in Star Trek was not always great. Yeah, Charlie X, he's smacking her tush. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, um, yeah, I mean, there, you know, it's funny. It's not funny, but there, there was one episode, uh, Conscious of the King, where there were some lines that were in the script that that had to be cut out for time, and they were the nicest thing that was ever said about Janice Rand. It was when um, when Kirk is up on like the observation deck with the um, Caridian's daughter. I forget the character's name, and they're just chatting and they're kind of you know getting all all romantic, and then Rand then uh, I think Rand is supposed to come by, 
and she and the the woman's supposed to think, oh, that's your that's your yeoman, and there was a scene where Kirk was supposed to say yes, and I, and and she's treated just as equally as any man or something something very like you know I don't treat her any different because she's beautiful and but and that is so and that's not that. true <laughs> it is not true but it would have been nice to at yeah, least give us uh, some 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 lip service to that yeah. and it never even got shot we didn't you know? really get to a point where there was true equality of characters on Star Trek I think until Deep Space Nine because even Next Generation the the concept of Counselor Troy was sort of as a sex kitten at the beginning. Well, y- yes, um, yes, but not at the end. Well, yeah, no, they built. Uh, I they mean, built just saying fr- from the beginning. From the beginning, yeah, y- yes, DS Nine really had a far more level playing field at the yeah. start. Um, you're you're absolutely right, uh, but I think the very concept of a counselor on the ship was like this sort of utopian ideal. But yeah, yeah they they put her in some wacky costumes and really she was there to be and Lieutenant Yar also was you know cap- there was that awful episode where she's captured Code uh, of Honor Code of Honor <laughs> uh, uh, prop- <laughs> not really one of the low points um, fascinating uh, episode though like th- there's some episodes in that first season of TNG that you go back and you're like wow I yeah. can't believe that got to the air yeah yeah no Code of Honor's Rough. This but I don't think that there's a lot of that in the first season of the original series. No. Just for, to take it back to Man yeah. Trap, there's automatic chemistry between everybody on the show. The, the scenes between all of the principals that you would come to know and love later are mostly in line with who they would be uh, later on in the series. And Kirk and McCoy really have a great rep- rapport straight away. I know this is what the third episode that they had shot. Yeah. But if you're watching it, uh, the, for the first time, you you wouldn't know that it was the third episode that they shot, or the no, first no, episode they feel they feel like they've known yeah. each other for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Even in that first pre-title sequence, when they're when it's just Kirk and the McCoy banter. as they're about to go yeah. in, the banter there is is pretty neat. But TNG, I think, uh, unlike that, Picard is different. Riker is different. No, no, the pilots. Picard's a kind of a jack. He's real he's nasty. A jerk. Yeah, and he has the the, the his catchphrase is now hear this, which mm-hmm. you never hear again. Yep. He says it like four times. Now hear this, and then it's like he's constantly barking from the captain's chair into the intercom. Yeah, no, it's and Riker is a, kind of a bore. Yeah, though he smiles a lot. He's it's more of a smirk, like a sarcastic smirk. Once the beard, once he grew the beard, it was yeah. where he really took off. I mean, pre-beard Riker is. Uh, <laughs> it's a different show. Yeah, it's, it's a, a different, different show. show. Um, but so Man Trap. A couple other notes. Um, McCoy as the creature, though DeForest Kelly is great. The yep. way he stands with his arms kind of akimbo a little bit and he's hovering with this weird look on his face really spooky there's some goofy dialogue um uh it it needs love as much as it needs salt (laughs) i mean i could imagine let's say you part of the run-up to trek was like this is going to be intelligent sci-fi and they had a lot of great writers that were involved you know isaac asimov vouched for the show so let's say you are someone who is dismissive of television, as many intellectuals were, and maybe a few still are. And you say, all right, I'm going to tune into this new show. It's September 8th, 1966. And you have somebody saying a line like that. You're like, screw this. This is idiotic. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's, there's some goofy, pulpy moments in, in this episode. People think of Star Trek as very uh, cerebral, and it's not. It's, it's a pulp adventure. It's very accessible, and it's a morality store. It's a morality, morality play yeah. every week 
where it's easy to understand what the message is. And that's what, why it's great for children to watch when they're growing up and they're developing their sense of right and wrong. Yeah. Um, Even the episodes that are tech heavy yeah. are morality plays. Absolutely. Like, um, you know. Ultimate Computer is a morality play. Yeah. Or even in Next Gen, the episode where they're, um, where the warp bubble is is making that passageway of space unusable. Yep. And it's an, it's an you know environmental story mm-hmm. or cause and effect with the time loops. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just problem solving, even if you don't quite understand the science you know behind it. Or see, yeah, I don't think I don't think of it as a show that is difficult to, for people to to understand and that intellectuals will glom on to, even though it has that. A strange uh, reputation from people who aren't fans. It's smarter. It's smart, right. but it's not lofty, and it's not. It's it's a pulp adventure story where people punch each other and there are lasers. <laughs> right. Like it's yeah. that's what's what's fun about it when you're first getting into it. But then right. you start to see what the references are, the episode titles uh, having Shakespearean references, sure. or all these things. It is not. It is rarely quote-unquote hard science fiction. Right. It's, it occasionally dips its toe. When it does get complex, particularly in Deep Space Nine, is with the breadth of the characters, mm-hmm. um, the gray areas between good and evil, the Dominion War. Was Cisco right to delete the file and in the pale moonlight and let Garrick, uh, you know, let the, the Romulan ambassador get killed? Uh, you know, that's something that's debatable. Um, but that's just... Um, that's the storytelling. That has nothing to do with science, right. really. Um, you know, once you get past the fact that the founders are goo and the Bajorans uh, have a pog and there's pa rates in the fire caves and all that, once you get past all that, it's just storytelling. Yeah, know? absolutely. I mean, I think the, the closest that it ever got to hard science fiction is motion picture, which is one of people's least favorite pieces of Star Trek. But it's yeah. my favorite, of, of besides Next Generation, it's my favorite movie. Straight up is my favorite movie. Star Trek The Motion Picture is your favorite movie. Yes. I didn't know that. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, um, I, bought, I love it. I bought the, I went to a thrift store in Pasadena and uh, got a Star Trek The Motion Picture uh, crew jacket. Oh, wow. It's the original crew jacket that they gave everybody. It's gold. Oh, wow. I only know it's the original because, um, oh, God, who sold it? Um, it wasn't Roddenberry, but it was Roddenberry, uh, his assistant. Um, who was Roddenberry's assistant? Uh, Arnold, Richard Arnold. No, 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 no. The uh, one that he DC, was... DC Fontana? No, 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 The one that he was having the affair with. Oh, well, I well, I will not say on this show, but... Uh, I mean, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah, so someone who had a connection to Roddenberry was selling it. And I was like, well, that's the jacket that I have, and it's amazing mm-hmm. that I have it, but the, it's my favorite. It's, but it's the only one that's like actually cerebral and unpleasant to watch it's, if you're not interested. We did in a it. whole podcast on it with uh, the Screen Crushes. Matt Singer and I sat down, and we talked about it for a bit. I love the movie... Have you seen um, Robert Wise's version of the Andromeda Strain? Yes. Okay. There are a lot of similarities visually mm-hmm. between the two, I think. If you love hallways and color saturation. <laughs> Absolutely, I do. And, you know, the, the Andromeda Strain, which uh, I brought it up in that other episode, and the feedback from listeners was, I haven't seen that. I'm like, you've got to see it. This is a movie, let's say it's two hours long. The first 80 minutes are about a guy taking the elevator down. Mm-hmm. It just takes forever for him to get to where he needs to go. And there's a lot of flashbacks. And there's, like, scenes of him scrubbing up and going through all these different That was ways. the book, though. That was the bo- uh, So much of that book was 
the minutia of how this base, this underground yeah. base works and how they're going to stop this virus. It wasn't a sexy story. No. And I think that's the case with motion picture, too. It wasn't a sexy they're story. They're going to this thing. Yeah. And then along the way, Spock is going to realize that human connection is important. Yeah. That's basically it. And it's a beautiful story when you see it that way and you see these characters sort of shaking themselves out of this this techno stupor and remembering that like they're people yeah because you've been out in space so long you forgot you're a human yeah. being I love them I want to see it again in 70 millimeter they occasionally flop you know it goes around to like yeah. you know, places like uh, Moving Image Museum in New York and um, it really is uh, wonderful and very different. It's yeah. very different from everything else in Star Trek. And um, have you read the book? Have you read Ron Berry's? Yes, edit? I have. <laughs> it's, um, it's something else. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's but cool stuff. I, I think it, that's. It's funny that that's the first movie, but that's less approachable than the Man Trap. Yeah, because you would think of the, yeah. the first episode aired episode of Star Trek. Um, maybe that's that's not um, as accessible because it's the TV show and it was playing to a specific audience, whereas it's the first movie, so it has to be a big, broad no. pop culture spectacle, and it wasn't. We are, in a way, very lucky that, that mo- the movie's a little bit of a miracle. It shouldn't exist. Um, and, and case in point, they never let Roddenberry that close Correct. to another movie again. It's a very Roddenberry movie. There's a, the first season of TNG is very Roddenberry. He's a very... He's a, very earnest, um, you know, very... Uh, it was up front. It was never yeah. trying to fool you. No. The episodes... Mantrap is another one where it's like this straightforward storytelling of there's a mystery, we solve the mystery, here's the moral of the story. That was TV writing back then. Yeah. And, you know, Next Generation was more sophisticated in a lot of ways, but it was still that Roddenberry template of this is... Encounter at Farpoint is another um, yeah. alien mystery. The alien is not what it seems. Yeah, that was a trope, and that you go back to Mantrap, and it's and the cage. The cage is about an alien that is not what it seems, or yeah. a person that is not what it seems. And that's what Viger is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, something that's really cool that you see in Mantrap that is discussed a lot in all of Star Trek lore, and you rarely see. And I was hoping you'd see it in Star Trek Beyond, mm-hmm. and you didn't. And there was a great opportunity is Spock's green blood. Yep. You green-blooded Vulcan. There's very little actual green blood in any of Star Trek. Uh, you get some good views of uh, Klingon purple blood mm-hmm. in Star Trek VI. Mm-hmm. But in um, Patterns of Force, when the Nazis are whipping Kirk and Spock and they're shirtless, you get to see some green bruises. Mm-hmm. And in Star Trek Beyond, Spock's got like a tube, a pipe coming out of his belly and and. Bones whips it out. I thought for sure that you get to see a lot of good green blood in that. Not in Star Trek 09, you see a little green blood on the kid's lip. Yeah. But in this, you get to see some nice green blood, which also was great for a first episode because it establishes that he is different. Yeah. Another piece of him being different. Because, yeah. I mean, the ears already. The ears. And then he mentions also when the vampire, when the salt vampire tries to uh, kill him, he's like, well, my Vulcan physiognomy uh, means that I have uh, less. Uh, he has less salt in his body, less salt. and so he's not an appealing meal for the M one one three salt vampire. Oh man, exactly, exactly. So something else shocking for its time is the big ending. You've got Kirk, our hero, uh, William Shatner, matinee star, leading man, uh, slapping a woman across the face. Now she's not really a woman; she's mm-hmm. the salt vampire, but she is a female. Fam- she is a female of her species, correct? Or is she not? Is that established? I, I can't remember. I don't know if that's established or not. See, we cannot 
discriminate mm. against women of any species. Right. <laughs> okay, she's a she's a she, and don't hurt. She might be a she. I mean, you know, but it's funny because earlier Sulu uh, admonishes Janice Rand for calling the plant Beauregard a she, mm-hmm. and 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 he's like, why do they always call a ship a she? And then she's like, Beauregard's a he. I can tell, <laughs> and it's just a hand. Yep. It's a purple hand in a plant thing, uh, and it looks silly but it's great i love that i mean that's part of that whole like you know no is is the man trap alien a she well maybe listeners will let us know oh they will but, let us know all the yeah. things we got wrong but the today. but the optic as they say these days is he's slapping a woman across face which yeah. for 1966 which is not necessarily a good thing you know i'm not saying this is something that we need more of in television is sure. men slapping women but i'm just saying back then especially that was like holy shit you don't show that on television no and um you know, but but well, if if a woman was in some way hysterical, like the, yeah, you his, calm hysteria, her down. I got I, I got to shake her, I got to slap her. So there was that element of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's as shocking uh, today. It's more shock. It should be more shocking today than it was back then because yeah. we don't. That's just something that we frown upon in the society, yeah. and rightfully so. This sort of idea of like you know a, a strong man beating up a woman. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. Um, and uh. And then, of course, uh, she beats the hell out of Spock. I mean, Spock's, you know, she just shoves him and yeah. he goes and knocks the books off the shelf. <laughs> right. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. So, what what was your ultimate takeaway when you you say you watched it again just a few hours ago? I didn't you? What was your uh, if you have a summing up on the Man Trap? What was sort of your your ultimate takeaway on this? My ultimate takeaway of the episode is that it works. It's not a great episode. It doesn't have a brilliant idea behind it the way that Corbomite Maneuver does, where it's, again, an alien who's not what it seems. Right. <laughs> well, I guess the real question is, what episodes are not that? <laughs> um, well, any episode with the Klingons, they're always what they seem. Right. <laughs> they're always bad guys sure. until Next Generation. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a fun episode. I don't recommend people start there. Right. Just because it's not, it's a simplistic story. Yeah. Like you said you know who the bad guy is. You don't know the extent to what they uh, to what she is, but you know that she is not good. Yeah. Um but it's it's fun in the context of the first season of Star Trek. It's a Star Trek episode. Yeah. You watch The Cage, if you start at The Cage, you don't know what Star Trek is. It's so out there yeah. and there's very little stuff on the bridge once the away team comes down to try to shoot the the cave open again. Uh, it's all in these weird dream worlds, and it's taking you to places that you don't understand. What are, what are these Orion slave girl or Orion women? Because we don't say slave girls anymore because it's sexist. But we, um, you know, nobody knows what that is. So Man Trap at least is Star Trek. It's still not quite Star Trek. By the middle of the season, I think it's Star Trek again. Yeah. Um, but it's a fine. I mean, it's not. It's not amazing. <laughs> that's what <laughs> really I really. That's my final takeaway. They, is it's like it's fine. They had sort of painted themselves into a corner. I don't think anybody on the production staff was happy that it was the first one to go oh, out. Oh no! You oh. know, it was. It was just sort of they. They fell into it. 
mostly because Corbin might maneuver had too many special effects, and the and the the third party company they'd hired out kind of said, yeah, yeah, we can get it for you that's by Friday, the, no problem. And then they're like, it took them months. That's the know? amazing thing about the entire first season of Star Trek, is it's in my opinion the best season. I know there are people that would ride or die for season two, and there are a lot of great episodes of season yeah. two. Season one is the best season. I'm, I agree. And I think for TOS, season one is the best. Always yeah. behind. Yeah. Constantly behind. This is a theme in Star Trek, is that it is always a sh- a sh- chasing a train, and they're always a mess, production-wise. Um, Star Trek Discovery is supposed to launch in a couple of months, mm-hmm. really, when you think yeah. about it, in January. And they don't even have the, the ships On CBS ready, All Access. Uh, from what they haven't announced the cast, we haven't right. seen the damn thing, they haven't started shooting... Um, it'll be great, but that's because that's Star Trek. It's always got to be a mess, you know. Yeah. They they and sometimes it catch it bites them in the rear end. Star Trek Five would have been better if Shatner was able to shoot those rock monsters. Mm-hmm. I think the story would have still been a bit of a mess. Um, all, Star Trek Beyond was a movie that they had to you know sort of like recon- reconsider. Oh and yeah, reconfigure they had to ash can the first script, and mm-hmm. then for the. For the betterment of, I mean, I, I'm the more I think about Star Trek Beyond, I'm very pleased with it. Um, it's a great film. I yeah. had, I was at the Comic Con premiere, and you see it on this big IMAX screen, yeah. and the, the, an orchestra playing the score. It was remarkable, and uh, you know, I, I hope that there are many more with that crew because they put together an amazing cast. I do too, and you know, that's the word is that they're going to do it, and then the 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 box office returns were fine. Mm-hmm. Some are saying it's a flop. It's not a flop. It's fine. It's a base hit, as mm-hmm. they say. Um, but it just opened in China, you know? So maybe, I mean, who knows? They say they're going to do a fourth one. I asked Doug Young and um, Simon Pegg, who have both been on the show, if you know, if they'd like to write the script. And they very diplomatically said, well, the other guys uh, are they, great yeah, they, guys, they, they too. Hired some people. Yeah, they, they, they were the guys who wrote the first script for Bob or- Orsi that mm-hmm. got nixed. McCain, Payne and McKay. Yeah, yeah. and it, they both said it was not the script's fault. It was, you know, they're great, you know. So the ball's with the, those two guys now. But personally, I mean, I think there's some magic in Jung and Peg's script and Justin Lin directing. I would love yep. to see those three back together and where again. they have some time because you know as with the original series and yeah. as with a lot of star trek they were under the gun but maybe deliver. not maybe that's the magic maybe wrath maybe. of khan being the best one to to most people's minds had you know some of the smallest budget yeah maybe being under the gun i mean look casablanca is considered one of the best movies of all time if not the best that was the most troubled production Ever. They had no idea what they were doing on that movie. They yeah. didn't have an ending. Yeah. They showed up for work on the last day. What do we shoot? I, I don't know. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, you know, sometimes that magic works. Not always. Take a look at Suicide Squad. Sure. That's a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it doesn't work, but maybe for Star Trek it does. Yeah. Just, like, you know, you read those stories in, in These Are the Voyages about Roddenberry feverishly rewriting scripts at the last minute while they were on the soundstage shooting the episode. Yeah. It's like, wow. It's magic. Yeah. And that's the thing that I get from the man trap more than anything is Star Trek is is a magical thing. And they, all of these people came together to create this thing that 50 years later is still something that touches people's heart and their mind yeah. and fires their imagination. Is It's great. It's it, There's nothing better than Star Trek. Yeah, it's half a century old this episode. And although there are some corny moments like those lines I talked about, it still fundamentally works. Mm-hmm. You could still watch it as a newcomer and be like, oh, this is a lot of fun. 
Um, before we let you go, uh, Star Trek Beyond, which as of this recording we're still uh, don't know too much about. I, as I mentioned last week, um, you know, there's going to be leaks. You know, we're going to know news soon. I mean, I know they're going to try to make a formal announcement. But uh, I'm just curious what your hopes are for the show. What oh, you, for Discovery? Yeah. What did I say you Beyond? Said be, I said meant beyond. Discovery. I'm That's sorry. okay. What, what are your hopes for the show? What do you want to see? What are you most excited about? What are you worried about? This is an interesting question. Because um, this is the first Star Trek television series to premiere since I became a writer, journalist, lived in Hollywood, right. met people that have been on Star Trek You're going to be on it. <laughs> me no <laughs> no no i mean you're gonna be on the on the beat oh on the beat yeah sure sorry i thought yeah. you meant i was gonna be in the show <laughs> no you're gonna be on the show C- congratulations <laughs> today we are announcing that you are the captain you're the captain now um yeah. yeah it's the first time that i've ever had that that access or that that connection to the entertainment industry i mean i'm doing the official star trek podcast and you're yeah. asking me about a star trek tv show that's coming out in a few months so it's a weird feeling to wonder what it's going to be find out some you know little bits and pieces of information here and there um and speculate on it as as not only a fan but as as a professional i just want it to be good um i i really like the design of the ship i am i immediately was like tweeting about how it (laughs) looked like the ralph mccrory design (laughs) yeah you were one of the first actually because one of my favorite star trek books of all time is star trek phase two the lost series by the reese stevenson yes 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 and that design always intrigued me because it was Macquarie and it was a movie that never happened. It was for Planet of Titans. Planet of Titans. Yeah, I want to give you official credit. You may not have been the first on the world, but you were the first person I saw to make the connection to Macquarie on Twitter. I mean, yeah. in- instantly. So, uh, yeah, it, that's big ups, as they say, because I. <laughs> uh, I I was just looking at it going like, ah, it looks like a triangle. What's right. going on? And you're like, no, refer to your phase two book. Go to page six. <laughs> um, yeah, but that you know, goes back to my love of the motion picture and all that yeah. stuff. Um, I, I'm interested in the idea that the lead is not going to be the captain this time. I know. That's the bigger, that's that, biggest yeah. than, that's total mind-blowing. Yeah. yeah, that's huge because the captain is always the lead. That's just how Star Trek works. Yeah. It was always weird to me that Commander Sisko was the lead on Deep Space Nine because he right. wasn't a captain. So when Picard shows up in the emissary and he's subservient to Picard, it's like, yeah. wow, this guy is different than the typical Star Trek lead actor. And then he punches uh, Q and says, I'm not Picard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a different kind of show. Yeah. Um, so I'm intrigued by that. Um, I'm intrigued by the time frame that they're putting it in. It's sort of before the original right. Post series. Post-Enterprise, pre-TOS. I will admit that I have mixed feelings about that. Interesting. I, I mean, I would prefer... I would prefer if it was like what's next you know mm-hmm. like the last thing to happen in official Star Trek in any filmed uh, version putting the books aside is Spock went through the wormhole and went to the Kelvin universe mm-hmm. um, you know uh, and Romulus has, or has yeah, been destroyed yeah. it's post nemesis Admiral Janeway's on Earth mm-hmm. and Spock was working with the Romulans and he went through the wormhole and that's it um, you know my my ultimate fantasy would be the very first shot of this new show would be some monitor of watching Spock's ship go in and be like, well, 
Godspeed, Mr. Spock. <laughs> On to today's business. That happened. And uh, then just continue. But uh, this is the choice that they made. and I think that there's a lot of creative pushback um, against the idea of doing more stuff in the Prime Universe going into the future because so much has happened. Right, so you've you've uh, come up. Trans warp drive exists. The you understand the Borg's um, network yeah, of the tubes. <laughs> the trans warp corridors. Yeah, I exactly. Think is what they're called? Yeah, uh, okay. Species eight four seven two, and all the all yeah. these sorts of things that that render the universe less mysterious. That you've seen everything. You've seen the Dominion War, and you've seen um, you know all kinds of uh, weird episodes with anomalies and yeah coming up with ways to change the shield modulation to do this thing and that thing and so you'd have to unravel all of that and, and either either unravel it or ignore it to make sure that you had enough tools uh, to tell a good story you mean for newcomers to come in no i mean just in terms of like the history of it and what can the phasers do what can uh, the deflector dish do it's all been pushed so far mm. and, and Jordy or Bolana Torres or whoever has done so many weird things to it to save the ship that these all all of those mission logs should be available for the next <laughs> captain of the Enterprise. And when they don't reference that stuff, then it's you start scratching your head as an as an audience member, as a as a fan who remembers that episode of Voyager or that Deep Space Nine arc or that TNG where they go to the planet on ju- uh, the Justice planet. Right, or right. Um, so what you're saying to me is very interesting. Let me see if I'm interpreting this right. What you what you're saying is, in a way, by continuing the timeline, the writers will be a little bit boxed in by the history. Yes. Because they because some viewers will um, have an allegiance to what we saw, what Bellana Torres did, whereas a newcomer doesn't really watch Voyager, doesn't remember, it was 20 years ago. Yeah. And there's going to be a bit of a conflict between Yeah, well, that. why didn't they solve this problem the way that Geordi solved it or the way that Data solved it or whatever? So by going back a little bit to a point in the timeline that is, you know, a little blank. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's still cool and in the prime universe, but hasn't been touched, um, and is in that interzone between Enterprise and TOS, where we um, can still do new things without the technology that's been shown to death in the '90s and early 2000s. Even though it's back in time, it's still a wider yeah. explore. And you also don't have to deal with the fact no. that you know there's replicators or there's um the holodeck holodeck there's yeah. the technology advanced so far in star trek that it i think for the casual audience started to feel like magic uh, well, that's what Arthur C. Clarke would say, too. Right, yeah. It's like, oh, you can do anything on, yeah. this, on this. I've never been the biggest fan of the holodeck or the replicator. I always felt like cheating a little bit. I mean, it started off with, let's get a cup of tea, and then it's like, you can do anything with it. Yeah, so. it's it's so utopian and so, and so yeah. perfect for some people um, that they want to go back to the time when it was still sort of rough and tumble. That was the idea behind Enterprise. Yeah, you know, you're making a really control. interesting case um, because I think... I think this is probably the problem that when they sat down and said, what are we going to do? We got the property. CBS said, go, uh, Mr. Fuller, what do you want to do? And he probably said, probably had thoughts similar to what you're saying. Yeah. It's it's too limiting mm-hmm. to be at the end of the, to be the next chapter in so much stuff. So to go back a little bit to this point where there's not a lot of information known, 
is is more freeing. And in you a can way. still play with the iconography of the original series, but tweak it slightly because yeah. we haven't seen that interim period other than the cage. Like I would right. hope, I would hope that the, those sweaters come back. Yeah, I love yeah. those sweaters. I was expecting I Yeoman Cult. I yeah. love Yeoman Cult. I was expecting the sweaters in um, the beginning uh, prologue of the first new Star Trek movie. In right, the right. Timeline. Like, where are the sweaters? Yeah. <laughs> why? Why does that guy look kind of like Captain Picard? Right, 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 right. right. Well, you know, it, it's and it's you know who knows which characters. I mean, there's a the theory right now that this lead character is going to be number one. Yeah. Uh, I don't buy it. Um, I think it would be strange to recast Majel Barrett. No, character. I don't think they can. I don't think it's going to yeah. be that. Um, there's also a, uh, there's a lot of uh, if you if you connect the dots, there's a lot of thinking that it'll be a woman of color mm-hmm. in the lead. Um, it's just because uh, Fuller slipped. An- Angela he, Bassett was who he wanted to be the captain. He mentioned that, yeah. but then he also mentioned that was a long time ago. Though. Yeah, oh yeah, that was a long and time. And then ago. he mentioned recently at Comic Con that he had had um, a chat. With uh, Mae Jemison, mm. the African American right. astronaut, and what he said, and we played it on this show, he said to talk to her about the character, to talk to her about the, uh, he he corrected himself. He almost said the character, yeah, and then he stopped. He said, you know, the show or, or the, the, you know, right. whatever. Um, so that would be awesome, yeah. and I think. Uh, it's probably the case. So, oh, yeah. um, it, and maybe, maybe you know, maybe she was a captain. This is what I'm thinking. Mm. She is because he said she's a lieutenant commander of sorts. I think the, the actual word he used was um, with caveats. That's what he said. Lieutenant commander with caveats. Episode one, she's the captain. She screws up. She gets demoted. Right. And this show is about her busting her hump for a new captain on a new ship trying to get her act together back after her screw up maybe her screw up was like a battle where a lot of people died who knows i mean that's you know to see that psychological impact is something you really rarely see on star trek so yeah and there's also the rumor that it's a section 31 show no he killed that but oh, he did fuller kill that. said that's not oh. the case okay well, he said it's not the kobayashi maru mm-hmm. it's not section 31 and it's not, which could never be the kobayashi maru because that would have been hundreds of years ago not yeah, 10 years exactly. ago and then he said it's not the battle of axanar so, um, yeah, who knows? But uh, I'm fascinated by what it's going to be. I'm excited. I just want it to be the sort of thoughtful science fiction that it can be. You know, I don't want it to be um, the kinds of things you see on the CW. Sorry, CW. <laughs> but your shows are great. It's just that the shows are, are not hard science fiction. No. I want The Flash I want, is good though. The Flash they're good. I'm not saying they're bad shows. Mm-hmm. They're good shows. It's just that they're a, they're a different kind of fantasy genre right. programming. I don't want that. I want it to be as Star Trek-y as possible, but not to go into a, a realm of it being too dark. I think we need an optimistic story. Uh, I think we need Roddenberry's vision now more than ever and I wrote about that in The Guardian um, a few months ago. This is incredibly important at this time yeah. in our in our culture. I'm hoping it's too much not like Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, which was a great show. Yeah, um, it got a little wonky in the middle there, but it, it's I still think it's great, and I even like the the last episode, which few people like. Mm-hmm. But that was too that was of its time. That was very 2003 2004, yeah. um, or whenever that came out. Um, it was it was post 9 11 yeah. period. Yeah. So uh, and, and and I don't want it to be that. I don't think it will though. I don't think that's Fuller's style. I don't think so but, either. Um, but when they say it's 13 episodes and they're all connected and there's like an edge of your seat aspect to it. Um, I hope it's not like 
like BSG. Um, I think we're in for a very good show. I think oh. you know, Brian Fuller is a real fan. Yeah. And he's very much, I think, concerned with the legacy. More so than, than uh, I think a lot of people even realize yet. Yeah, he'll, he'll lose sleep if he, if he screws up one of his other shows. Because he's got a lot of fingers in the fight. If he screws up American Gods, he'll live, you <laughs> yeah. know? That's he screws up show. Star Trek. Like, he Star Trek. He's, he's well, I mean, you get that sense from Justin Lin and from Simon Pegg, too, of, like, they understood how important it was to yeah. nail this this movie, and they did. And so whenever there's a fan involved, I, I trust them to at least respect the canon and respect yeah. the vibe. But also good that he's got um, Nick Meyer as a consultant. Yeah. Nick Meyer's not a fan. Right. But he, he does understand Star Trek. He understands it, but he does not come at it like it's like it's a sacred text. He's right. like, ah, change that. And Here are the reasons why this is a bad idea. Right. <laughs> Here's why you should put a no smoking sign right. on the bridge of the Enterprise. Because you never know when Spock might light up a cigarette. Awesome. Well, listen, on that note, I want to say thanks so much. We took you. This was a lengthy episode, but I think uh, we did the man trap, uh, the service it needs. Um, Dave Schilling, we can find you on Twitter where? At Dave underscore Schilling. You use an underscore. I do. All right, good. Yes. And your writing is exclusively in The Guardian these days? or uh, I, I write periodically for the uh, Birth Movies Death magazine. I actually wrote for oh, the Star Trek issue. So did I. Oh, great. Oh, I think I did see that. Yeah, I, I wrote about the motion picture. Well, what did you did. write about? I wrote a little bit about uh, Roddenberry in general. Okay. Yeah. So that's funny. The two pu- we only we we only write on the same publication. It seems like it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So um, cool. So if you don't follow Dave on Twitter, you should uh, read him in the Guardian, which you should be doing anyway. And uh, thanks so much. And we will see you all soon. Uh, live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.